0: Today's video is going to be just a little bit more nerdy, as you might say, than some of my other videos. It's on the subject of mutual support and miracles. You might occasionally hear a skeptic or an atheist say something like this You Christians, you reason in a circle. First of all, you assume that there's a God, that the supernatural is real, or that Jesus is God, or something like that. And so then that causes you to approach a report of a miracle and you You take it to be believable because you already believe in the supernatural. But then, because you have the report of the miracle, then you say, oh, well, then that's evidence that God exists. See, that's a circle. You're reasoning circularly. You might even hear other people, be they Christians or skeptics, say, well, of course you're reasoning circularly. All reasoning is circular, or we we have to start with God. If you don't start with God, you're not going to end with God. That's a phrase you'll sometimes hear. And so, therefore, there's no getting around it, so just sort of embrace it uh, and go ahead and reason circularly. Well, I'm going to tell you that that's definitely wrong. And what I want to talk about here is the issue of two things that are positively relevant to one another, and in that sense support one another, how can we acknowledge that mutual support relationship without reasoning circularly? This issue is uh, around in secular epistemology, theory of knowledge as well. Sometimes it's thought of in terms of a theory and data, theory, data, mutual support. So an example might be Einstein's theory of general relativity. Einstein's theory uh, led people to expect certain observations. One especially famous set was a set of observations uh, concerning the stars at the time of the eclipse in 1919 and the way those stars would appear near the Sun uh, if you were observing from the path of totality of the eclipse. I just want to add here that uh, mutual support occurs even when one thing only raises the probability of another, even if it doesn't absolutely predict it, you can still get mutual support. But in this particular case, the theory actually predicted certain observations prior prior to their happening. And then, people actually went out in 1919. Fortunately, World War I ended in time, and one went to Africa, and one went to Brazil, and they made the observations, and sure enough, they they turned out the way that they were predicted by Einstein's theory, and that was taken to be some very significant support for Einstein's theory. So how do we model this? My husband Tim and I are what's called foundationalists in the theory of knowledge. And a foundationalist, among other things, is going to disallow loops of support. Your support's gonna um, go in one direction in the sense that no proposition is going to appear in its own ancestry in some kind of infinite loop where uh, proposition P supports proposition Q, which supports proposition P, which supports proposition Q, around and around like that so that there's no bootstrapping, nothing that's sort of just pulling itself up like that. So naturally, this issue of mutual support came to our attention, and in fact, was brought up by people who took other theories and, and said that foundationalism was wrong, and brought this up as a supposed counterexample. Look, we have we have theory data mutual support. The foundationalist can't model that, so foundationalism is wrong. In the late 1990s, we were already working on this, and we published our first attempt at a response to it in 2000. Then we became somewhat dissatisfied with that, that that was just a first approach, and we decided to uh, work on it some more, sort of go back to the drawing board. In about 2004 to 2006, I in particular was working very intensively on, on this issue of getting a proper foundationalist model of mutual support, uh, and that resulted in a new article, which in 2008 was published by the journal Air Kentness, co-written by, by Tim and me. So, again, this was not because we were trying to defend some predetermined view in uh, Christianity or anything like that. It was a a secular issue. In fact, in some ways, you you might even think that we made things harder for ourselves by insisting on this one-directional epistemic support with no loops, because it's a little easier to just say, oh, you just have loops. Okay, so how do you do it then? Well, our our 2008 article introduced a notion that we call the notion of conduits. And in, in very broad terms, you can think of something like, in my example, Einstein's theory of general relativity, as channeling the support of one set of data to the other set of data. So, for example, you had other reasons to believe in Einstein's theory that it was true. Aside from those observations of the eclipse, or at the time of the eclipse, that supported the theory of relativity, which then would in turn lead you to expect the observations at the time of the eclipse. But then, when you have the observations of the eclipse turning out in that way, that back the other direction raise the probability of Einstein's theory. So you do have support going in both directions, but it's coming from different places. It's coming from what we might call different inputs that are coming from outside of the system, and then each line goes only in one direction. So I want to show you how this might look in an b- example involving The gospels as documents but just remember that this comes up all over the place elsewhere this is just a particular type of example involving the the idea of jesus deity and the gospels so here we go so here we have e1 and i'll talk about what that might be in a minute we have the resurrection we have the deity of jesus We have some other miracle for concreteness. We could think of this as the healing of the man born blind, for example. And we have E2. And then you can see arrows going in both directions. And I'm going to be talking about that some more in a minute. Okay. I'm going to post a blog post that has that diagram. And I'm also going to, um, and I'm going to include that as the thumbnail of this video as well. So what might E1 be? And that's the one that's closest to the word resurrection. Well, in this case, let's think of E1 as specific evidence for the resurrection. For example, resurrection accounts in the gospels. And we can also think of E1 as uh, information about what the disciples said on the day of Pentecost in Acts. We can also think in there, I mean, you could put A lot of different things in E1 that's what we might think of as directly pertinent to the resurrection. Evidence concerning the um, circumstances of persecution under which they were testifying. And that would also come from the book of Acts. Okay, so that could be E1. So here we go again with our diagram. Here again is E1. Here's our blue line of support. E1 provides support for the resurrection, which in turn provides support for the deity of Jesus. The deity of Jesus in turn increases what we might call the prior probability of the healing of the man born blind. That is to say, if you have some reason to believe that Jesus is God, you have reason to believe that he can heal someone born blind. Okay, but then... Well, what might E2 be? Well, E2 could be the account of the healing of the man born blind. Now, ultimately, I'm going to trace this all back to, you know, memories and that kind of thing that are directly accessible to us. But for simplicity's sake, I'm going to call E2 the account of the, of the healing of the man born blind. Okay, so that account provides some independent evidence of that Miracle, And the more credible the account, the better that is. So that's a red line, right? Here's E2. Supports the other miracle. That other miracle, in turn, gives us some evidence in itself that Jesus is God, which in turn increases the prior probability. That is to say, the probability aside from its own specific evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. Now, sometimes your your E2 in this diagram will be stronger and weaker, and, and there can be all kinds of different combinations. So sometimes I've talked about certain uh, accounts in the Gospels that uh, are just really brief. And so we don't have the opportunity to say there's anything especially uh, interesting or truth like about them because they're just they're just really fast. So for example, there's an account of a healing of a man of a blind man outside of Bethsaida in the gospel of John that's much shorter. Um, excuse me, I misspoke. In the gospel of Mark that's much shorter than the healing of the man born blind in the gospel of John. And that one, you're just not going to have as much opportunity to to say whether that you know brings a lot of additional credibility. Something else that I have not attempted to model in this diagram, that we might think of as E3 down at the bottom, would be evidence from n- neither of these miracle accounts for the truth of a given gospel, like the Gospel of John. And this would be, let's say, undesigned coincidences in other accounts or geographical support for john or cultural facts that support it or archaeological facts these kinds of things it's going to generally support the truthfulness of the gospel of john and then when you take that in, in conjunction with these two reports that he you know john both asserts the resurrection and the healing of the man born blind then you're just going to have direct support for that conjunction from the reports uh, combined with the other evidence for the reliability of John. I didn't try to model that on there. But again, that's not circular because it's just boom, you know, there's, there's the support from the reliability and the reports for the conjunction. So there's no loop going on. That gets a little more complicated. When you get into Bayes Nets, um, you get, you know, lines going in all different directions, but Bayes-nets are what are known as acyclic graphs. And that means you have no real bootstrapping, because if you tried to do real bootstrapping, you'd get an inconsistency. You can have conditional probabilities. So for example, you can have, you know, what's the probability of the resurrection? Conditional just on E1, if you wanted to do that. but Ultimately, you're going to want to have a probability of the resurrection conditional on all evidence, and that's going to be your stable single probability at any given one time on the basis of a total body of evidence. If you allow actual loops, you're not going to be able to have that because it's just going to go on infinitely looping forever. So in that sense, an acyclic graph is a good model of a foundational uh, system that produces consistent probabilities at a given point in time for a given set of propositions on a given set of data. Now again, as I say, all of that's a little bit nerdy. But what I've often said is that the uh, point of this video channel, and I'd like to sort of make it the hallmark of my my work as a whole, is making common sense rigorous. Because I think we all have a kind of intuition, and I think it's a true intuition, that there is such a thing as mutual support we say you know i have i have two different neighbors and they both have said that they had packages disappear from their front porches and and it seems intuitive that i believe neighbor b more because i have the account of neighbor a and that i believe neighbor a more because i have the account from neighbor b and yet we also have an intuition that circular reasoning is wrong so that doesn't seem circular how does that work and this kind of a diagram can show us, again, I've somewhat simplified it, how that can, can be possible, how both of those intuitions can be true. This is going to come up any time you have non-deductive inference and you have more than one line of argument for a given uh, proposition, and it's, it's all non-deductive. You're going to have these kinds of conduits and channelings going on, but you can still have consistent probabilities without any actual circular reasoning. So if someone says to you, uh, oh, you Christians just reason in a circle, you can say, well, maybe some do, but we don't have to, and I don't. And I can give you a general idea of how that works and and why that works. In fact, this comes up with the existence of God as well. So the resurrection provides evidence for the existence of God, and the existence of God provides evidence of the resurrection. Hmm. Well, but we have other reason to believe that God exists. You might say we have a cosmological argument, or we have a design argument. And then that's going to increase the prior probability of the resurrection. But then we have this concrete empirical evidence that Jesus really rose from the dead. And that in itself, going back the other direction, confirms the proposition that God exists. Even if you had a low prior probability that God exists, that that would raise it. And it would even raise it quite significantly. So, once again, no circle. And this is, I think, important so that these seemingly clashing intuitions don't create a muddle. Now in closing today I'd like to talk about a different kind of mutual support and that's the mutual support between the work I do here on my YouTube channel and my Facebook pages. I've just started a author page, an author page on Facebook just to make it a little easier for you to get notifications about my new content. Uh, Facebook doesn't always like YouTube content so it doesn't always promote it if you're not subscribed here to the youtube channel and you go over there and follow my Lydia McGrew author page you can turn on notifications over there but video content is not the only content I'll be promoting there sometimes I'll be making announcements about my books Uh, for example my forthcoming book The Eye of the Beholder when I have a a date a release date in prospect specific one I'll announce it on that author page and so If you click follow and then uh, under follow on Facebook, turn on notifications. You'll get notifications whenever I post new content on that author page. Uh, And I've continued to maintain my my non-author, my regular page as well, where I post uh, publicly set content there to Facebook. And again, you don't have to be my Facebook friend to get that. There will certainly be some overlap there, but not total overlap. So be sure to be sure to get that, so that you can uh, follow all of the new things that I have coming out, and you can get more and more opportunities to make common sense rigorous.